What an exciting opportunity tonight to be here with Gary, Rocky Riddle, on site at his kennels. In the background, you'll hear his kids, grandkids, and dogs. What a great heritage he's created. We're going to introduce his son and great amateur trainer, Josh, and we're going to talk about the amazing Springer Spaniel and some Cocker Spaniel conversations as well. Rocky is a national champion trainer. He's been at this for 40 years. He's been trialing for 30 years, well, really 30-plus years with all of his great dogs. He's considered one of the great trainers and breeders in the country, especially of Cockers and English Springer Spaniels. Rocky was just awarded the 2020 Top Professional Handler. What an amazing accomplishment for this accomplished man. He is truly an upland hero. His philosophy is pretty simple. He sees to the dog's best natural ability. He develops those strengths so the dog can reach its highest potential. As I've had an opportunity to work and see Gary in action, he's truly one of the great pros, an amazing upland hero. This is a wonderful opportunity to learn from one of the greatest trainers of our time and learn a bunch about the English Springer Spaniel. So without any further ado, let's get talking with Gary and his son, Josh. We're in northern Utah, right along the Idaho border, and this is, Gary, this is beautiful up here. My son got me to move up, and yeah. it is beautiful, and we haven't regretted it a bit. Yeah, this is stunning. You grew up or were born in Mount Pleasant. You've been in Utah most of your life. Yes. Were your family upland hunters? Yes. Tell me about your dad, your upland hunting. Tell me about your upbringing a bit. I grew up in a small rural community in Carbon County where we could go out right, of our, right out of our back door and hunt pheasants. And, and I grew up hunting right out of the back door and started with a Springer as a child and went right along and enjoyed them and, and had great times hunting ducks, pheasants, chuckers, grouse. We hunted everything. Well, how did you get the Springer? Was it just one that was available from a backyard breeder? Did your, was your dad specific to this? My dad had had Springers as he grew up. And when I was a small child, we didn't have any dogs, and my father wouldn't allow me to have one. We lived on a small farm, and I had to earn the right to have the dog. And so I was about nine, and I'd saved up, and I'd saved up $50, and he drove me to Spanish Fork, and I picked up a dog, and it was a show dog. But I'll tell you what, the dog was fantastic, and I shot a lot of pheasants and ducks over that dog. So, As you grew up, though, and you were hunting, I, I, I have similar experiences I can relate to that. And today, a lot of the youth don't have that opportunity, right? I mean, You're right. they can't go out of their house. They have a hard time, in fact, finding access to hunt. How do we change that? I've tried to look at different things, and that's part of the reason I'm here in northern Utah with my son and grandson. He has the opportunity to do that right out of his back door, and this is a unique heritage to pass along. And he will participate, and I'm confident that he will have that opportunity. You're growing up with this Springer um, you spent a couple years abroad, is yes. that correct? Well, in Missouri and Illinois. Did you get right back into it? Yes. Um, the dog I had was, he was a show dog and he had limitations, but I still shot limits and limits of pheasants and ducks. Uh, but he had major limitations. So when I came back, my first opportunity, I purchased a field trial dog. Where from? From Ohio, from uh, John Isaac in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. We had him brought in. 
and he was an excellent dog. And well, there I, wasn't the internet, though. There's no Facebook. How did you find out about this dog? Gun Dog Magazine, and, but I had a dog brought in by the name of Rocky's Quest, and Quest was a phenomenal dog, and I got lucky. Little black and white male. He was small. He wasn't particularly good looking, but he was very effective, and, and I learned to trial. And, and he was my first trial dog, and I made a lot of mistakes. But we ended up winning a lot of trials with him, and he was very, very successful. First field champion in Utah, first amateur field champion in Utah, and first Canadian field champion in Utah. Were you trialing before you went away? On no. I was just hunting, and when I came back, I got, a, got involved with a local club. There wasn't a club that was licensed here by the AKC. And I got with a couple of guys, and we started training. We went through a sanction process and got the Utah Springer Spaniel Club started in about 1983-84. And it was a long, drawn-out process because we didn't have experience, but we got the trial going. And the first field trial we had was a huge trial. We had trialers from all over the United States, and I won the first trial with, with Quest when he was 18 months old. I won the first trial with him, and he just went on to win many, many more. Well, that's a big deal. So how did you learn to do that? Because I'm, I'm, I'm bringing up a Springer right now, and I'm doing my best to train her, but I, I wouldn't win a field trial right out the gate. I was lucky because I read a couple of books and I had a little experience and a couple of the folks that we were training with, they weren't experienced either, but we knew enough to try and we made a lot of mistakes, but we got lucky and he was an exceptional dog that taught me. And there's a person by the name of Janet Christensen who has won, I think she's won seven or eight nationals and she's had a big influence on my life. And Janet told me something that I agreed with. She said, people will remember your powerful dogs names before they remember your name and in this case everybody knew quest but they didn't know my name they knew quest though that's exceptional yeah. i think that's quest over there barking at us uh, one of them <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be in trouble <laughs> i'm literally looking at a really nice field full of beautiful mostly springers and a few cockers we're very fortunate with the dogs that we have there and we have several with titles and that have that have done very very well when you're training, you, you train this dog, you're winning uh, field trials. Is this when you decided that this is something you wanted to do with your life? When does that decision come about? At that time, it was costing me more money, and the participation was more money than I had. And we, we were lucky, and we did very well. But there came a point as my children got older. I had four children. Uh, I had two or three dogs that we did well with. But I, did, I found out that it was not a situation I could afford to do and still have my family. So I trialed for about eight or ten years. I judged the United States National Open Championship in 1995, and we were very successful. So I went for about ten years, and then I took a break for about five or six years to raise my family. I coached my kids in baseball, basketball, and helped some in football, and we played with that, and that worked out good. And I always was training my springers. And I was running him in local trials occasionally. I wasn't as competitive, but uh, after my kids got older, I went to a friend of mine that had had a national champion that I had actually started in field trial game in the early 90s. And he had this national champion, and we based a lot of our, we purchased several of the puppies out of his dog, uh, Crossman's Warpath, a dog by the name of Zip. So a lot of our dogs trace right back to, to Zip. I've been to these field trials. I've been to some of these things watching you. We've been filming. And you train a lot of people's dogs. I do. Do you, I mean, is it hard to get in to have you train their dogs? That so you have waiting lists? I mean. I, I, if I can ha get a high caliber competitive dog, they take precedence. And yes, I will take the high caliber, com caliber competitive dogs. And I usually will take one of those. 
Uh, I also like to train a pointer or a couple of different things that aren't my specialty so I can keep my skills sharp and in the summer when I have a little more time I will take some various breed dogs just to keep my keep my skills where they need to be. But when it comes down to trial time and to be competitive, uh, if I have the opportunity to work with a, a dog with a superior pedigree that is very talented, I'll usually put that dog on the truck. But again, I have seven or eight dogs. He has to be able to compete with seven or eight dogs that are also very, very high caliber. When you look at your breeding goals and where you are right now, have you found the perfect dog? Have you ever had the perfect dog? Are you what would the perfect uh, dog be? Every one of the dogs that I've been successful with, every single one of the dogs has had at least one issue or so. And you have to find the area to develop and to do that. Now, when you go to a national, if you have a glaring issue, it's going to show up as you go through the series work over the time. Uh, you can have an excellent dog, but when you go through the different series, you're going to show the problem once and you'll, you'll show the problem eventually. You won't hide it the whole trial. I have some dogs that are excellent that don't have many holes and when I talk about a hole the hole will be a unique situation it can be something that maybe I'm the only one that knows but I'm watching for it as I'm running the dog and I once I had a professional trainer that I really respected uh, I'll use his name Dick Vermazen who he was a brilliant he is a brilliant trainer still alive he is brilliant uh, and he always told me I will share all of my training techniques with you because I can see the issues beforehand and I'll beat you with I'll beat you and as I've worked with multiple dogs and seen this on multiple occasions I agree with that I have the ability to see something in the dog and so the dogs that have the unique capabilities and talents I see but I can deal with issues before they may become an issue and I can I can cut them off and so the sooner I can get a dog and have the opportunity to develop rapport and to work through those issues the more competitive the dog will be I think when I watch you with your dogs, you are connected in a way uh, we would liken to a, a very great athletic coach. You do see the, the potential in your dogs. You know their strengths and their weaknesses, and you play to those. You talked about when you coached your kids in sports. Would you say that you used a lot of the same philosophy when you coached your kids in sports that you did when you coached your dogs? I am a better father as a result of training dogs, but I would be a better person if I could teach my kids as patiently and as effectively as I train my dogs. So, to answer your question directly, yes, the philosophies and the teaching, you can't discipline a dog unless they understand what is they're supposed to do. And in raising children, I sometimes disciplined when I shouldn't have disciplined, I should have explained more. And if I, if I was raising children again, I would change my philosophy. When you're bringing up a dog, you have a shorter time period to kind of learn that, and you can do it over and over again. But when you're bringing up your kids, you've got the one shot. You're exactly right. And you know what? The mistakes, I, and fortunately, my kids were very forgiving because they let me get away with things that I shouldn't have gotten away with. But I would raise children differently if I had it to do over again. And I think I'm a better grandfather as a result of learning what I've learned with the dogs to be patient with my grandchildren as well. What is the main kind of tenets or principles that you teach or that you approach a dog with now to be successful? You have to have a personal bond with the dog is the main thing. And I'll share one thing. When we have, my dogs are judging on their ability to hunt. And my number one criteria is have a dog that is that has bird finding ability uses the wind and is natural at his bird finding ability when I find that we're successful 
then me, as a trainer, I need to develop a bond with the dog so they trust me. I need to show them step-by-step -step process of what I expect. No discipline is associated unless I've shown correctly. And then work with the bond so that I can put them in the best situation to be successful in the field. And I'll share one thing. A lot of folks, they'll use different commands. They'll use a fetch command with all the dogs because it's sometimes difficult when you're working with multiple dogs to remember the dog's name. You're focused on so many different things. I have continued to stay with the name of the dog and the main reason I do that for my send command is I believe I can develop a mental ability with the dog, a connection where the dog trusts me and if I use this name it's not a generic reference and the dog knows that I know who it is. And I'm really proud of the fact that since I have been training professionally I have never once called the wrong dog's name to send on a retrieve. What that means to me is that I have the ability that I can focus and concentrate with that dog and I can bond with that dog even though I may be running multiple dogs in an event I can concentrate with that one dog and have that rapport enough that I can remember who I'm running. And that's no simple feat and I'm, I'm proud of that fact. And I will take it one step further. As an amateur, I have multiple dogs that I'm working with and feasibility wise, I can't have the same relationship that a person that has one dog or two dogs has. They can, they can literally have all the time in the world, but why am I more effective and what can I do? I have skills and the ability to see things that others don't and I'm not, I don't consider that, you know, it's because I paid the price and I've spent the time with the dog. But they have an advantage over that developing rapport. So what I have to do is find ways to accelerate the ways that I can develop the relationship. And when I do that, so my time is exponential with each dog. I have to find the medium where the dog trusts me and we have the effectiveness. When you talk about this, you know, I, I get chills, uh, Gary, because I, it's not, they're not just words. I watch you do it. I, I see that rapport you have with your dogs. The very first time I came to see you was, I was looking for a Springer. I had never met you before, and the, the first thing you did was retrieve, and you called them by their name. And so when I purchased the puppy, I knew who that puppy was because I knew who those dogs were that you knew. You spend so much time with these dogs, and you spend so much time out there. Why go hunting? I mean, I mean, you you really love to go hunting. Why why go hunting when you're all the time out there? You think you'd want to go out and do race cars or do something different a couple of times a year you'll have a unique situation of the find of a bird the flush of a bird the shot of a bird that stays with me more so than any field trial event ever I won the Canadian National last year and I can remember every bird that Ugg had in that series in the fifth series specifically I can remember exactly the way he turned the way he tracked a bird I can remember everything specifically but I shot a dusky grouse two years ago over bow on the edge of a tree line high in the canyon and I can remember that more vividly than any field trial situation that I've had. The main reason I have these dogs is because of my love for hunting and the dog field trials are competitive. I have a competitive side and I love that as well. But when I go out and get that bird and in this case, we saw a dusky grouse. He worked the edge of a tree line. He flushed it and it flew in between pines, thick pines. I made a long shot. It's one that'll stay with me. Last year, I had Ugg. I had a rooster go up a side hill. I saw the rooster go up a side hill. We tracked it for a good 80. It was probably closer to 100 yards. We tracked it. I was going as fast as I could up the hill. He flushed the bird right on the edge of gun range. I tickled it down at about probably 75 yards. I sent him on the retrieve. Five minutes later, after about an 80 to 90 yard track, 
He comes back with a wingtip rooster that was a beautiful bird. That's why I train these, and I, it's something that'll stay with me. I can almost tell you the exact steps, everything about it, and that's why I do it. And I'll tell you one, Quake is one of my favorite dogs. We were working, and this was about four years ago, where it was the opening of pheasant season, and we are working a brush patch, and I was pretty confident we had some birds running, and sun was just coming up, and we're right on the edge of a hill overlooking a wash. He actually jumped through an uh, old barbed wire area, jumped through the barbed wire, took the bird flushed out of the air, I shot it over a wash, and so the, the bird was only about 40 yards, but it fell in the wash, so it was about a 90-yard retrieve. He came back. His eye was all cut from going through the barbed wire with his wing-tipped rooster. It was a beautiful bird, and I can still to this day see that into the skyline when he flushed the bird. It was absolutely beautiful. And th those are some of the ones that stay with me very strongly. Last night I got a call from a son who'd been up working a couple of his own personal dogs, and he said, you know, Dad, I've played athletics. I've been a part of sports. I've been a part of all this. I look at all your grandkids here running around, your dogs out there. I can even see my, the son that did this last night sitting over on the grass here. And, and he said, but there was nothing more, really what he described, nothing more sublime than last night as he worked this dog that's coming along. It's eight month old and it's out doing points. He's got it tracked. It's, he knows where it is. It's checking on him. And he's working this little puddle in addition to that. And he said there's, there was nothing more thrilling more sublime than being up there on this ground in the mountains with his dogs. Agreed. Agreed. Isn't that the future though really of this great passion that we have? The youth of today, they need that experience. No question. And they can gain something with a, with a dog. Teaching a dog is life, it, it basically creates life lessons. If they can teach a dog to partner wouldn't the government be beneficial if they could learn to to communicate with in a nonverbal approach and have situations like this? It, it would benefit everyone. You do you have a goat? I mean, the greatest <laughs> of all time dog. Do you do you have one or two, or do you have a goat, or are you still looking for the goat? I mean, you. I mean, you're, I'm looking at a bunch of national championship dogs right here. So I mean, you've got a lot of great all star teams. But have you ever had one dog that that just was your goat? The first dog I had, Quest, was probably my greatest. I was more I was more successful with him, but he had limitations, and it was because I was limited as a trainer. I look at dogs, Quest. I had a dog, Gold, that was out of national champions that was phenomenal. I lost him at an early age due to an illness. Quake is as good as any that I've ever had. Bo, Ugg. Each of these dogs has been fantastic. So do I have a greatest fault? It would have to be Quest just because, he, uh, because of my limited experience and the success that we had, each one of the dogs that I train has abilities that are unique to their character. Quake had incredible athletic ability, and he was his ability to concentrate and give 100% every single time is unequaled. The way Bo finds birds is, is unique. In fact, the way Bo finds birds is very similar to what I had with Quest. They can just, they just have exceptional noses and work with you. I look at Ugg, and Ugg came, with, came to me with some major issues, and I had to work through some issues, but right now, Ugg trusts me, and Ugg is phenomenal, stylish in his run, great bird finder, great nose, but the one constant on all of these dogs, and as I look at this, the one constant, every single one had the ability to find birds. Use the wind, locate the birds, drop their heads, they all had great noses, and if you have that bird finding ability, they make it easy. Why do you love the Springer? Okay. You, because I know you train, I, I've been in your kennel tonight, I see pointers, I see all kinds of setters and spaniels, and you're good with all these, but why 
should somebody get involved with a Springer? I'm going to tell you this. It comes right back to genetics. My father liked the Springer, had it as a child, and I grew up hunting wild pheasants. And in my opinion, taking moving birds, and it's not just my opinion, famous writers, Dave Duffy, uh, and I could start naming many of them, James Spencer, all of these guys will tell you the best all-around dog is a Springer because of their ability to work close with you on a moving pheasant. And I was hunting pheasants and ducks, and they did a fantastic job. Now, do I believe it was partially genetic and that was a preference? Yes. And I learned their personalities, enjoyed them, and that was what fit my personality the best, and so I stayed with that. And I found success. Now, I will tell you this, it's nice to go out on a nice pointer on a chucker hunt that's pointing at a thousand yards, holding it, and you're able to move up on a chucker. That is fantastic. But I, I, just, read, I just read something that was unique. I would rather go with a Springer and have a partner all day than go with a pointer and have a 30-second excitement that is independent on himself. And that's what I find a lot of times when I'm working with some of the various breeds is they are working for themselves. They tolerate you on occasion, but the Springer is a companion and a partner. How does somebody find a great Springer? First thing I say is pedigree. That People will say how important is a champion, a field trial champion. You can call up an ad in the newspaper and they'll say, I have the best hunting dog you've ever seen, and I go look at it, and my opinion varies substantially different. But if you have judges who have looked at the dog enough to give it credibility to have a field champion, you have something to look at. But then I'm not telling you that every dog that's a field champion has the same capability. So my number one criteria is to buy a pedigree. My second criteria is to know about the individual dogs. And I have bought dogs that have been out of field champions that I haven't known particularly, but I've been very successful. So I think it improves your odds substantially to have a field champion, preferably on one or both sides. How do the Cockers uh, compare? What, tell me about the Cockers. Uh, they're a tighter working dog. Uh, they're smaller. They have some intricacies that are unique to them. And you can call them intricacies, you can call them quirks, you can call them what you want. They're, they're, they're different from the Springer. A Springer is more regimented and can handle training similar to a lab, can handle a regiment process. Whereas Cockers, you have to be more flexible and you have to be smarter than them. You have to adjust your training technique to the individual dog. Whereas Springer, you can be more of a program dog. Cockers, you have to adjust to them personality. If you don't, you'll ruin them and they're done. And so they're a little, they're, you've got to be more flexible and you've got to give them, give them a little bit more. But, and I'll give you an example. I have a, a cocker now that he's won the last three trials he ran and he's been excellent. One of the things that has been real strong with him is he learned to run the wind. He always turns into the outside of the downwind. He never turns wrong. He, he just finds birds in a position that, and this is, this is breeding and genetics. He just finds birds in a position that you can't teach. The other thing is, is he is a remarkable marking dog, and I'll never forget, he was only about 16 months old and I placed him in his first field trial, and we were hunting down, it was in uh, Southern California, and we were in cedar trees and things. He flushed a bird in a river bottom, it was a chucker, he flushed a bird in a river bottom, but went out behind a cedar and changed directions. There was no way he could have seen what the bird did, in fact, we couldn't see it when it was shot. The judge gave me the tap to send, and I said, did it go down? And he said, I don't know, we'll see, let's see if he comes up. In the no way he could have seen where the bird went. It had changed directions about 90 degrees. He went out and made three or four loops, made a retrieve of about 80 or 90 yards. It was, I, I still don't know how he did it, whether he heard the bird land, he heard the BBC hit the bird. I, I don't know. I have some theories myself, but it was incredible. And that's, those are intangibles you can't cheat that you buy from the pedigree. He's a fantastic dog, and I'll, he, he will be one of my, when you talk about the goats, he's going to be one of my 
and greatest of all times. He's fantastic. When you, if, if I'm a hunter and I want to go hunt pheasants, when should I buy a Springer and when should I buy a Cocker? Uh, it's a good question, and I've had people ask me, and people will say, if you could have one dog, what would it be? And I'll say a Springer. If you could have two dogs, what would it be? I'd say two Springers. And the theory that I've generally stayed with is I'd have, probably have four Springers and one Cocker. Now, this dog Sparks has changed that view. If I could have one Springer, I'd have a Springer. Sparks would be my second dog. Uh, they're not quite as strong. They're not as effective on waterfowl, and I still shoot a lot of ducks. The Springer is stronger and can handle variable cover better than the Cocker. But this Cocker can be fantastic. He retrieves ducks well. He's fantastic on grouse in the high mountains. He's just good. He's not as strong, and he has his limitations, but both of them are fun to hunt, and both of them find birds unique. Rocky, tell me a little bit about the heritage and how great it is to see Josh following, you know, in this line. I've watched Josh work his dog's phenomenal trainer in his own right. Talk to me about, you know, how proud that must make you. I, I think of some of the great coaches out there, you know, in the NFL and in, in college and watch them, their sons come on and take their own teams on. It must be very similar. It is. Um, as I look at the opportunity that, to work with my family on this, I started with my father and my father did not train but I worked with my father with dogs and he loved the opportunity to go out and I respected my father because he gave me the heritage of hunting and he was a good hunter and he taught me to hunt well. As I think back on Joshua when he was about two or three years old he would come with me training and he would see the dogs run and he would experience that and have those opportunities. He was carrying a gun at an incredibly young age, he was shooting training sessions for me at seven and eight years old and effectively shooting training sessions. But what's been fun to see is the maturity that he's developed with the dogs and the understanding with the dogs. In fact, sometimes he has a better relationship and rapport with the dogs and it is important for me to learn from him on how to handle the dogs. It is also, it's interesting that I am sometimes so close to the dogs and I know what they're doing and how they're running that it's nice to have two sets of eyes to look at things and to get his evaluation and his perspective. Even though Joshua's an amateur, he can tell me things that I appreciate and make me a better trainer and benefits both of us and benefits our dogs. Uh, Joshua has developed into an incredible trainer in his own right. He knows and understands the dogs. He just doesn't have as much time to spend with them as I do. And he doesn't work as many dogs. And so I do have an advantage that I see a lot more cases and opportunities, but the development that he brings the dogs is sometimes greater than what I do, and it's really nice to see. It's also fun. We can go out on a weekend, and we can hunt wild birds, and we both enjoy that very much. From a son's perspective, Josh, talk to me about uh, watching your, you know, the legend here, Rocky, as you've grown up, and, and how did you get that burning passion for training these dogs? And Yeah, so as I think about it, I, I, get, I guess I don't, I never really understood, you know, growing up. It was just going out training it was working the dogs doing what we could to to go and have fun it really started more of a a, a passion with hunting than it did dog training or field trialing in general it was more along the lines of let's go out and spend time together and enjoy hunting and then you know later on I think it, it came to it's really been over the last probably 10 years that it's turned into a dog training experience dog training has kind of become something that we've grown into i used to just yeah want to go out and <laughs> hunt anything and everything and 
and be able to utilize the dogs in order to get to that end goal of shooting birds and it was more of a shooting sport than a companion slash hunting sport but uh yeah it's it's developed in, into something that you know i've always had the relationship with the dogs but now it's grown into to a partnership uh, family along with the dogs and we all love just to go out and and get it done together i love seeing a young dog mature um, seeing the, seeing the lights turn on with a young dog is just fantastic and then I think in the same respect, seeing the kids do that as well. Seeing my, my five-year-old go out and, you know, I hold the gun while he pulls the trigger and shoots a grouse out of the tree. And yeah, just the, the combination of, of that along with the dogs and the enjoyment of building something up. That's, that's really the goal and what's been really fun uh, developing into. You watch Rocky work. What have you drawn from him, from his experience? Why do you think he's been so successful? And what do you see as his greatness as a trainer? You know, and I think we do, we're, we're different in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that that is, and I, I've asked myself that same question because I think, you know, gosh, what, what, some of his dogs are nice. Some of my dogs are, I think, nicer. But, uh, <laughs> but I think it's a good combination because he's very meticulous and strict as far as, as his training process goes. And I'm a, I'm a lot more laid back. I think my process is, is is a little bit more drawn out, a little bit more time. It's essentially the finish work, the polish work. And he's been able to, to develop that polish, putting the cherry on top, you know, with those with those dogs. Whereas I focus on on, you know, maybe being a little bit more laid back, a little bit more loose. So yeah, just the, the combination and the difference in training aspects. I think they're definitely both good. Uh, he has me track down on, on some dogs, or he helps me to put the polish on some dogs, and then I'm able to help him uh, loosen up some of his dogs. And so I think it's a good combination, um, kind of yin and yang, and finding what's best for the dogs and, and having that second set of eyes to really bounce ideas off of, and, and we both learn and grow from each other. Rocky, where do you go from here? I am very competitive. And I always want to stay competitive, and I'm really driven to be successful in field trials. So I'm always looking for the perfect dog and the next champion. My ultimate goal, and it was interesting, I just went to North Dakota to a field trial, and I stayed with another professional, and we trained together for a week. And as we talked about that, he made an interesting comment. He said, you enjoy this so much. He said, uh, it's nice to get paid. And he was referring to both of us. He said, it's nice to get paid but I think I would do it even if I didn't get paid. Now, financially, I'd have a hard time doing it if I didn't get paid, but I enjoy the training, and that's why I can do the long days of work because I really enjoy working with the individual dogs. So what is the end goal? I want to win more nationals. I want to champion dogs, but the main thing is I want to make each dog that I work with better and competitive. And if I can have a consistent string that is competitive in all the field trials, that's what I'm trying to accomplish because... I want them to attain their goals and their highest abilities. My father was a competitive basketball player and he, he was an excellent basketball player and he was very very competitive and he loved to hunt but he loved to hunt deer and he, we, he was just he had to get the biggest buck and we worked really hard and he would focus on that and work. And as I grew up I, I was pretty independent in my own ways and 
So when we first started hunting, we would just get mad at each other, and I would do a drive. He'd think I'd do a drive wrong, or I thought he would do a drive wrong, and we would yell at each other. And came that I was an I was an older young man. I was married, and one day we just yelled at each other deer hunting, and I, I sat back and I I was talking to him, and, and I respected my father incredibly, and I just said, you know what? We, we're getting mad at each other because both of us want the same goal. We got to quit. And at that time, we we decided that we would not get mad at each other. Now, there were times where we were disappointed, but I don't remember ever shouting at him, and I don't remember ever having a real divisive conversation while we were hunting after that. And we enjoyed hunting more. And right up to the, his, the very end of his life, he would come with us, and he'd come out training with me, and he wouldn't necessarily know everyone we were talking about, but he knew every name of every dog, and would watch training sessions and understand what was going on with every dog. And he just loved to go to trials. We'd take him to field trials with us and he loved to visit with folks and things. Even though he never competed in a field trial, he loved that. And that meant an awful lot to me because I could spend that time with my father and even in his diminished health. Last couple of years, he went to trials in California. He had traveled with us and he just thought that was one of the nicest things he could do. And I'll tell you what, it was one of the greatest bonding experiences we ever had. Wow, what an amazing night we've had with Gary and Josh Riddle. We are going to be debuting a film with Rocky and Josh and their great dogs, their field trial, and their champions. You don't want to miss it. And there will be a link at the bottom of this that you can catch it. But just go to our website, Extreme Upland. Catch it there as well or on our YouTube channel at Extreme Upland. So until next time, we'll see you here on Extreme Upland, where it's all Upland, all the time. <laughs>